Let's get our Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 8. We want to look at Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 6, down to the end of the chapter. Draw some things out from the text here. One of the things you see here in the book of Hebrews is we have a better covenant. We have a better covenant. Now, a covenant, and some have compared it to a contract, and um, I don't know if it's, that's the, the right comparison. Uh, a covenant is definitely an agreement. It's something set forth by our, our God. And the conditions for it are, to me, amazing to think about, that our Creator doesn't have us uh, do uh, you know, 100 different good deeds before He gives us His favor. What He wants us to do is believe in Him and who He is and believe in the promises that He's able to give us and to trust in Him. And in that trust, then, from that trust, obey Him. That's an amazing thing to, to think about. So as we look at this covenant here, uh, we want to think about it. So the Hebrews are having a problem. The Christians who are of the Hebrew faith are, are being draw, uh, drawn away. Some of them are on the verge of being fallen away. Some are being persecuted. And they're thinking, well, maybe we can go back and join to the synagogues to join uh, the other Jews. And this is what happens. This happens today. People take the Christian faith and they take what they know. And then they take something else, some ideology, some other form of thinking or philosophy, and they take it and they blend it in with Christianity. And so you get all kinds of weird ideas and concepts, and sometimes people don't even realize what they're doing when they do it. And I, I, was, I was thinking about this, what was going on with the Hebrews. You have warnings there and instructions at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Listen, that Christ is greater than the angels, and nobody was to worship the angels, they were to worship Christ. The angels worshiped Christ. And the point there in Hebrews 1 is, don't go after this Jewish mysticism of worshiping angels. Don't go after that kind of stuff. And then don't go back to the law. Don't go back to the sacrifices. Don't go back to the whole system. Just know that the whole thing doesn't work anymore. That God found fault in it. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But people do this. They blend the gospel with the law of Moses. You know this. You've seen this. I've heard of different churches who will say, you know, we, we keep the feast in the Old Testament or we keep the food laws or they bring in different things from the Old Testament and they use it for justification. Another thing you see here in Colossians 2, is, it mentions here, and you don't have to go over there right now, I'm coming back to Hebrews in one second, but there's, he mentions human philosophy and things that people go along with. So things that people might consider science or evolution, they'll blend it in with their faith. I can see why people believe certain things. They think this is definitive science. An old earth. They think it's settled, it's done. The earth must be uh, 4.5 billion years old. And therefore, what do we do with that? And so there's a lot of Christians out there who take that as a fact and they blend it in with their faith. And at first I'm thinking, I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. And then as they start to blend in evolution and other things, I get more concerned about it. Um, a lot of it is because it's, it's really contradicting what Jesus has taught. And I, I really see it as a lack of maturity. There are some people who, as uh, claiming faith in God, practice asceticism. Or they treat their body with severity. Um, they think, oh, I've got these sins, and the only way to get them out is to, to beat myself. I'm, I should hurt myself because of this. And do these certain things. These things, these things are not in the Bible. All right? Uh, there are people, again, religion of angels that are mentioned here. I hear people today say, I had a vision, I had a thought, I had a dream. Even the, the Old Testament warns us about people who say, I heard, I saw a dream. 
So, you saw a dream. But does that change your faith? Are you going to certainly take that in and be like, well, I'm going to be more faithful to the dream than I am to, to Christ and to the Scriptures? And then he also mentions severity of the body, certain regulations, things we can come up with, certain things we might, and traditions we might hold over the heads of others. We want to make sure we stay away from that. And then Paul says in Colossians, this is appearance of wisdom. It's self-made religion, and it's not good. So I like that right there in Colossians. And I want to go back to Colossians and look at that because he gives a good list. Gives a good list there of the things that we can take and mix in with our, our faith. And so I, I see that a lot today with people when it comes to politics. You know, whatever, whatever's on the agenda and fits political parties' platform, and people want to adapt it and say, well, of course, the Bible, th- this, and, and try to blend it in. We want to be very careful. All right, we'll look at verses 6 through 13. Most of this is a quotation from Jeremiah 31. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews, the author here, he quotes from Jeremiah 31, makes some good illustrations, and, and we're going to draw some things out here for us. All right, so Hebrews 8, look at verse 6. He says, but, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. What's he talking about there? Uh, Christ has a ministry and a new covenant, a new testament. That's what he is about. He has it based on better promises. So all these things that give to us, what are the better promises? What's entailed in this covenant? And what the writer here says is you can see that right here in Jeremiah 31 with a main passage that tells you there's a New Testament coming. And that tells you a lot about the Old Testament too. Listen to what he says, verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So the first covenant had a fault to it. And what was the fault of it? You know, someone might say, well, if God is perfect, how can he make something with error in it or fault? Well, we're going to see that in a minute as well when he, when he explains, explains what happens here in Jeremiah 31. Now, as I'm going through this and studying it, I was thinking today, I was thinking about different contracts that we're in. I thought about my um, cell phone, I'm thinking about my internet and things like that, different agreements I might have. And then I thought, well, those just don't do justice when you look here at the covenant. What does do that, I think, is a good parallel when we're looking at the idea of a covenant, is think about a marriage covenant, a relationship, and an agreement that's throughout the Scriptures. You have, you have Christ and His bride. And so as you look at what has been said here about this new covenant, it's better in every way. And then, what would be the problem with an old marriage covenant? You think about that. What would be the problem with an old marriage covenant? You've got a new marriage, a new covenant. What's the problem with the old one? You're going to see that. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 8, chapter 8. For he finds fault with them when he says this. So we know that God finds fault with the first covenant, with the Old Testament. Why? Because, the, because behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In other words, the, the old covenant wasn't doing it. It wasn't enough. You can see that very clearly. All right, look at verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. Kind of a picture of bringing a child out um, and leading them along the way. He says, for they did not, listen to this, they did not continue in my covenant, so I showed no concern from them, declares the Lord. What was the problem with the first covenant? 
The problem was is that people didn't keep it. And if you read Hosea, you get the picture of Israel as though being married to God has been unfaithful, like Gomer was. If you read the book of Hosea, you read about this. Israel's unfaithfulness. So the problem with that covenant is, is that it was allowing those who were um, adulterous into that relationship. And it had fault to it. And the fault has to do with people. All right? Let's keep reading here. Look at verse 10. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after, after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, if you're in a marriage covenant, don't you want that? You want your spouse to have their whole mind and heart given to you. That's what you want. You want them to be wholly uh, committed to you. Heart and mind. Okay, and that makes sense. You know, I want a covenant like that. I want a covenant with um, a spouse that is faithful. And I think we see that and respect that and see the details of that. And so here we have God saying, I- I'm going to have a covenant with my people. I'm going to take my law. I'm going to admit it in their hearts. So who is it that's going to be his people? It's going to be those who take God's word in and internally they think about it. They know it. It's a part of who they are. It's a part of their, their attitude and their personality. It should be. You believe it, it should transform you. It should change the way that you you behave, the way that you think. All right, look at verse 11. And they shall not teach each each, uh, other. So it says, And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So if you're a part of that body and you're part of this group and you have got the words of God within your heart, within your mind, then yeah, we would expect that. We wouldn't have to say to one another, know the Lord. No, we don't. That's very obvious. All right, look at verse 12. For I will be merciful toward the, to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And we definitely need that a lot more in any covenant relationship in our marriages, is to forget the things of the past, to be merciful in times of iniquity, and remember their sins no more. And in this case, you have a new covenant, okay? God has a new agreement. There's an agreement with us. He says, you follow me. I'll put your law, my laws in your hearts and your minds, and I will forgive you of your sins. Better promises. He said again at the very beginning, I establish a new covenant. So when was this spoken? This is Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. This is before Judah, and, um, Judah is ever taken off into captivity. All right? Way before then, you've got a prophet saying, the New Testament is coming. A new way is coming. I, I think the predictions in the Old Testament are amazing to me. It's like, there's a prediction. There it came true. That, that's amazing. And so as we see here this promised covenant and we see the promises out of it, look at verse 13. Good memory verse. You can steal this one. It's not, I don't think it's going to be mine. I might try to take it from you. But all right, so Wednesday night, Hebrews 18, verse 13. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. He makes the first one obsolete. How so? Well, it's a better covenant with better promises. And so why would you want the other one? You know, it'd be like any other new contract or any other new agreement that you have with somebody. Um, Once you have a, a better plan and everything is better all around, the old one is obsolete. So... 
He says, what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. And that's what's going to happen. He's saying that to the Hebrews. Don't be led astray. All these things, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, all those laws, they're coming to an end. They're just a shadow of the things to come. And so we don't need to be drawn away by these things and mixing them into with the, with the Christian faith. They have become obsolete. So I kind of think about this as, uh, you know, if, as far as marriage goes, a renewal of vows. And so that the, the, the new vows are so much greater, the promises are so much greater, that the old ones don't, are not even relevant anymore. All right. You think about that. That's what we have as Christians. We hold this. We look at our Bibles, and there's the Old Testament. It makes up about three-fourths of what you hold. Turn to the right side of it, and you look at the New Testament. You've got a fourth right there. It's a little bit simpler. It's shorter. And, and this is our, our blessing that God says, I'm going to give you forgiveness. I'm going to give you a new covenant. And what he says before this, he says, Christ is the minister of this. He's the high priest of it. He's the one who's made the great sacrifice. He's the one at the right hand of God. So we need to rely upon him and look at the covenant of which he has given us. Trust in Jesus. Trust in his words. Stick to his plan. Uh, We don't need to mix anything in. All right? Uh, I don't know what those of us in here might be mixing in with our faith but i do know that these things happen you know I, there are certain things and ideologies and certain philosophies i remember looking at and i remember even studying greek philosophy and thinking how does this align with the christian faith um, when i was in college and so there's error that comes along with that that's kind of like what happened with the idea of this ancient heresy of gnosticism they took Christ and then joined it together with Stoicism, started worshiping these different 30 different virtues. And then among them was Jesus. It's like, love, Jesus. And, you know, and people do that today. They're like, I just put Jesus in with everything else I want to believe. You know how it is, people that pick and choose. We want to examine ourselves, make sure we're not doing the same thing. Check this out over in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. Hebrews 10 and 1. <clears throat> And what we see throughout the text here, a new covenant, everything's changed. Hebrews 10.1, I love the description here about what, what has taken place. He says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. And then you got that phrase there. We want to draw near to God. You can't be made right and perfect with God under the old law. But you can through Christ, through His mercy, through His forgiveness. You can be made holy. You can, you can approach God through Jesus Christ. I think that's something that a lot of us lose because we think, well, I'm a sinful person. I can't go to God right now and I can't pray to God right now. But that's the whole message of Hebrews. The whole message of Hebrews is you can go to Him and you can pray. You can go to Him because He has come in similar likeness to us. He's come in the likeness of the flesh and in the weaknesses that we have. We talked about this on Wednesday night in Hebrews 4, Hebrews chapter 2, is Hebrews 4 and uh, verse 15, and then Hebrews 2 verses uh, 14 through 18 through the end of the chapter, that Christ came, He's tempted in every way like us. And because of that, He is there for us. Christ is there for us. When you sin, when you have struggles, don't cut yourself off from God. Draw near to Him. Pray to Him. Lean upon Him. Read His Word. Go to Him to deliver you from, from your trials and the conflicts that are ahead of you. 
Don't use those things as a way or excuse to pull back. That's like the thinking of the old law. Oh God, I've got to balance the scales out. It doesn't work that way. Here's some other things that I see here in regards to the Old Testament. The priesthood, again, has changed. And what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 7 verse 12, says the, pre- he, the priesthood has changed, so the law has changed. All right? The law has changed. There's different priests, different laws, different things that are taking place here. If you go to Hebrews 10 and verse 4, he says that the blood of animals, remember that? Of bulls and goats cannot wash away your sins. You cannot be forgiven in that way. And then you've got this beautiful picture at the end of Hebrews 9 that there is one sacrifice once for all time. And that's what we want. I want that sacrifice. When I think about Christ and what he's done for me, I think about that. And I think one very important thing to understand as we're going through the book of Hebrews. The writer is writing to those in Hebrews. So they have the mindset already that they have a debt to God. They have a debt to God. All my life I've felt that debt. God gave me life, therefore I owe him my life. It's not God gave me life, I'm going to have fun with it and do what I want to do, find my own goals, search my own way, and when I'm having problems, I'll go to God. That's not how it works. That doesn't make any sense to me. Now, God gave me my life. And then I recognize this, that I owe him. Book of Genesis, chapter 9, verse 4 through 6. God's going to bring us into a reckoning. He's, you're going to have to give an account for what? For your blood, your lifeblood. For your life, you're going to have to give an account. Makes sense. He gave you life. He wants you to do what is good for you, which gives glory to Him, which helps others around us, so that we all have eternal life, that we all live in peace and love together. These are the things or blessings that are through Jesus Christ. So everyone has a blood debt. And look at this, Hebrews 9 and verse 22. Hebrews 9, 22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So I owe God my lifeblood, and here Christ is standing in my place. He's given it. He's overcome that burden of condemnation that was against me so that I can draw near to God. I love the descriptions in Hebrews 10 that talks about the new covenant as a new and living way. It's new, and it's alive. We live in it. Just like Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is alive. And it's the means in which we draw near to him. I want to share with you two more passages before we conclude tonight over in Hebrews 7. Hebrews chapter 7. And look at Hebrews 7 verses 18 and 19. The writer says, For on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. Yes, the law. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. You see that phrase there? Now we have a way to draw near to God. When I think about the church and I think about prayer and I think about the Bible and God's Word, I want to be close to God. I don't know if you feel the way that I do, but I have this innate desire in my, within me, deep within me, within my heart, that I want to be close to God all the time. I hope that you share that with me. 
hope that you have the same feeling. I think if you do, then you recognize, I need forgiveness. And Christ loves me. God has loved me so much, he's made a way. Verse 23 says this in chapter 7. The former priests were many in number, but because... Uh, were many a number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Well, that makes sense. So, high priest dies. There's another one. Verse 24. But he who holds his, his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is always there at the right hand of God to make intercession for us. That we can draw near to him. We can seek out our Creator, and I thank God for that. No, there's a lot of things that are quite deep and kind of outside the way that we, we think right here in the book of Hebrews. But when you sit down and you think about it and you take some time, you see it's very beautiful, and you see the love of God, and you see the glory of His plan, and we stand in awe of Him, and in that we want to draw closer to Him. I encourage you tonight to draw close to God. Uh, to stop mixing things in other ideologies in with your faith, your own goals, your own personal things. Stop mixing that in. Don't be distracted. God has given you an everlasting covenant. If there's anybody tonight that needs to oh, obey the gospel, you can do that. You can put on Christ in baptism, enter into and, and accept the covenant that God has given to you, that he will forgive you of all your sins through the blood of Christ. You can have all your sins washed away in his blood this evening. And you can continually to live that life, walking in the light, having your sins washed away. Whatever your needs are this, this evening, you need prayers. We encourage you to come right now. Let's sing together.